We're turning to the book of Genesis, chapter 4, and starting at verse 1. Genesis chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The second reading tonight comes from 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. Love one another. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love with words. Let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. What a lovely summer it has been. Uh, Christmas Day, uh, God showed his love for us. He sent his son into the world. And not just then at that point in history, but for all eternity before, before all eternity afterwards, his love endures forever. And we saw in Romans 8 that nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. What incredible comfort, what incredible security we have. But is this love from God just meant to give us comfort and security and not make any difference to how we act? Of course not. And so we come tonight to God's love and 
This is the message you've heard from the beginning, verse 11. We should love one another. This is not a new command for them. Jesus said the whole law can be summed up in love God and love your neighbour. He gave the command to his disciples, love one another. And so when these Christians first heard the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus dying and rising again, they heard from the very beginning, you are to love one another. Christians are to love all people, aren't they? But they are especially to love God's people. You are to love all people, but you especially love your family if things are going well. It's the same with Christians. We're to love all people, but especially God's family. And so John gives an example. An example from the very first family. Verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Adam and Eve rejected God. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided that they would decide what was right and wrong, and they were afraid of each other as a result. And as a result, one of their children had very good reasons to be afraid of the other one. There were two brothers, and they were a God-fearing religious family. So they both offered sacrifices. One of them, their sacrifice pleased the Lord, the other, Cain, did not. It was not so much what they offered as their heart motivation. Cain's heart wasn't in it. He belonged to the evil one. And Cain is angry. The Lord warns him, but he ignores it. And so one day he invites his younger brother out to the field for a stroll. And as they strolled, Cain butchered his brother. That's literally what the word here means. It's not the general word for murder. He butchered his brother. And when God accused him, he said, Am I my brother's keeper? It is an awful story from the pages of the Bible. And it's on page 2. That's how bad sin is. Why does John choose such an awful example? Love one another. Do not be like Cain the butcher. Well, he explains it in verse 15, doesn't he? Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. John has heard Jesus' words, that you've heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother, anyone who is a hater, is subject to judgment like a murderer. Murder is sort of out there, isn't it? But hate is not. And John here makes it very black and white. Love one another, do not hate. The haters are going to hate and do not be a hater, says John. Why? Well, the consequences are very big. Did you see that? Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Anyone who does not love remains in 
death. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? Without love, I am nothing. John says, without love. Even if you are from a religious family, like Cain was, without love, you are a hater. And you will not inherit eternal life. John is very black and white, isn't he? He says that there are two ways to treat Christians, hate or love. One leads to death and one leads to life. Do you see that in verse 14? We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. We're used to the idea, aren't we, that people pass from life to death. We don't like it. But we know that people pass from life to death. But John says it's the other way around. We begin in death. Without Jesus, you see, we are dead. And when people put their trust in Jesus, they pass from death to life. When someone hears my word, says Jesus, and believes him who sent me, he passes over, he crosses over from death to life. And when that happens, says John... That person loves their brothers and sisters in Christ. So John says you can know. You can know whether you've passed from death to life. There's a simple test. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? There's only two attitudes, love or hate. Which one is it that you have? Do you know that you have passed from death to life? And if you have not passed, you remain in death. Well, what does it mean, though, to love one another? What does it look like? Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. When I was a teenager, there was a number one hit by foreigner. I want to know what love is. I know you can show me. Sounds like a song about the Lord Jesus, but I don't think it was. John thinks it should have been, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God showed his love for us by sending his son into the world. Jesus showed us what love is. Is not like Cain who took life. Jesus gave his life. He was sent into the world, but he was not compelled to die. Did you know that? The Father did not make him do that. No, he freely laid down his life. He saw our need, he had a heart of compassion, and he laid down his life. That was his action. So now we know what love is the compassion that leads to action that goes as far as laying down your life for someone. Do you know that that's what love is? Or are you listening to the world and all its bizarre ideas of what love is? And do you know that you are loved like that? John says more than that, doesn't it? It's not just that you know what love is, but there's an ought in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought 
to lay down our lives for our brothers. Why ought? Why is it that we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because Jesus loved us. Well, he's our example, isn't he? He died for us. He owns us. We should follow him. But more than that, do you notice what it says in verse 16? Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. That's not what it says. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, God's people. And therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Do you see the parallel there between the two sentences? For us, for our brothers. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Why should you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because Jesus died for them. Don't look around, but you know the people around you are annoying, don't you? Especially those of you who can sing and are aware of those around you who can't. That's annoying, isn't it? Or those of you who can't sing, it is actually quite annoying when you realise the person next to you can. And you'd like to be able to do it. It's annoying for those people who are always late to things, for those of us who are on time. But more than annoying, some people hurt us, don't they, amongst God's people. Some people let us down. All of you tonight have had people gossip about you. Other Christians gossip about you, haven't you? And probably all of you have had Christian leaders who have let you down in some way. Chances are a good number of you are looking at one of them right now. And you think to yourself, why should I bother to love him? Because Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and Jesus Christ laid down his life for them, do you see? So you ought to love them as well. What does it mean in practice? Well, I think John knows here as he moves into verse 17 that it's all very well. It's actually quite easy to say that you love everyone. Ah, oh, I just love everyone. But much harder to love someone in particular. And in verse 16 to 17, he moves from saying we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, plural, to verse 17, laying down your life for a brother. Do you see? A particular person in a particular situation. What is that situation? Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Imagine this. Someone has material possessions. They have food. They have clothing. They have money. And they know someone in the church congregation who does not who is struggling to make ends meet, who does not have enough food to put on the table, or is just struggling because of sickness so they can't make and cook the food. What does a genuine Christian do? Well, that's an easy question, isn't it? What is it that says they do in verse 17? They have pity on them. They have compassion on them. In Deuteronomy 15, it says, If you see your brother in need, do not close your heart towards them. Love, genuine love, is a matter of the heart. 
The word pity here doesn't actually say heart, it's to do with your bowels, because that's where they felt in that culture where the emotions and concern for other people dwelt. They weren't as silly as us and thought it dwelt in the heart, which pumps the blood. They thought it was in your bowels, because that's where you would feel it. We're both wrong, aren't we? It happens in your head. But out of concern for other people, you have compassion on others. It is a matter of the heart. It is an internal thing, this love. I just read a Christmas carol by Charles Dickens. You know, Scrooge, Bar Humbug and all that. Some men come to him and ask him to give a donation for the poor, especially at Christmas time. His response, are there no poor houses already for such people? There are, they say, but what if they die, these people? Then they better get on with it, says Scrooge, and decrease the surplus population. There's a man without bowels, without a heart, without compassion. Love for one another is a matter of the heart, and we Christians need to hear that because sometimes we think that love is just about what you do. It's not an airy-fairy emotional thing, we're told. It's just what you do. But it is involving taking pity on someone. You are moved with compassion. And of course it doesn't stop there, verse 18, the second part. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Just like with the Lord Jesus. He saw our need and was moved with compassion. Did he then return to heaven and tell his father, you know, they're really in need, father? No. He then took action and laid down his life for us. What would that look like with material possessions? You would see someone in need. You'd be moved by that need and give your money, your things, your food, your time. I've seen people do that in our church again and again. And not just locally, but I've seen Christians in our church moved by the needs of those in other parts of the world and to give. About this time last year, we had Lillian from Uganda who'd been sponsored through compassion by an Australian woman. We heard her story and what had happened for her. And we heard of the need of children in the Philippines and about 40 Individuals and families from our church were moved with compassion and have been giving their money ever since. That is love, isn't it? But not just with material possessions. You can have no money, no spare money and love others, can't you? You can see someone in need and have compassion and take action. You can see that the children of our church need to be discipled. You can hear that there aren't enough leaders and teachers for any of our children's ministries. There's a plug. That's true at the moment. And you can be moved with compassion and take action. You can see someone needs encouragement at church, a word of encouragement, and go out of your way to give them that word. You can see that someone is new at church, whether they're a staff member in their family or they've just turned up out of the blue, whoever they are, and an act of love, of compassion and action is to welcome them. If you have trouble working out how to love the people you're with here at church, well, that shows you again you ought to be in a growth group so that you know people and can have compassion and take action. 
And of course, this happens at home, doesn't it? Where we see the needs of those we live with. Practical needs? Or they need a word of encouragement from us and we speak up. What is love? It is being moved with compassion and taking action. Now, do I think that you are not doing this and so you need a bit of a shove, a push along? Do I think that this is new to any of you? No. John knows this is not new for the people he's writing to. He knows they heard it from the beginning. He's convinced his readers are doing it. He says to them, this is how we know that we've passed from death to life. This is how we know, verse 19, that we belong to the truth. He knows they're doing it. But he knows that the example that they are to follow is very big, isn't it? Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I mean, if it said this is how we know what love is, Jesus Christ gave some of his money and helped people out each day, we'd be doing all right, wouldn't we? Because many of us are sort of doing that, you'd say. But no, it says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, I did this, I asked this in the morning and there wasn't anyone, but maybe 7pm are doing better. Has anyone done that? We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Has anyone here tonight? Could you raise your hand? Have you ever laid down your life for another brother or sister in Christ? Any hands? Well, no, because you wouldn't be able to raise your hand, would you? You'd be dead. And so you could never say, I did that loving thing back in 2016. I'm going to move on now. I'm sort of on top of that now. I don't need to love people more. So John says to them, let's do it more and more. Verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. He can say to them, this is how we know that we have passed from death to life. You can know that you have a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, but know that you need to love them more. Isn't that our situation here tonight? Don't you long to do that better? to have compassion and to take action and to not hold back? Well, verse 19 and 20 tells us how to do it better. But at first they seem very confusing. Have a look. This, is how we, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. The words are simple enough, I guess, but the phrases and how they fit together is very confusing to me. Our hearts condemn us, it says. We know that we don't love well enough. And so how do we feel better about that? Well, we uh, set our hearts at rest in his presence. But I still don't know what it means, do you see? We get confused because we think that heart here means our conscience. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. But the word heart 
does not mean conscience in the New Testament. It never means that. It is never about how you feel towards God because you've done well enough. It is about your will, what you want to do. And our hearts condemn us, don't they, because we know we don't love well enough. No, it doesn't say this is how we set our hearts at rest, our consciences at rest. The word is not set at rest even, it's persuade. This is how we persuade our hearts. You want to love your fellow brothers and sisters more? Have compassion and action for them? You need to persuade your heart, don't you? You need to change on the inside so that you want to love them more. How do you persuade your heart to do that? In his presence. What do you need to tell your heart so that you love people more? You need to tell your heart about God, that he showed his love for you by sending his son, that his love for you endures forever, that nothing can separate you from his love, and that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and for them. So what should you do the next time that you realise that the person you're supposed to love and is in some sort of need, when you realise how annoying you find them? Or you remember how they hurt you last time and you struggle to have compassion and to take action for them? When you are cold towards them, you need to persuade your heart by remembering God's love for you and for them. This is how we persuade our hearts in his presence. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your love endures forever that you showed your love and that now nothing can separate us from your love if we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you indeed that you showed us what love is, compassion that produces action. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of this to, to see that we have a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would not normally have if we weren't Christians and that that shows us that we've passed from death to life. But Father, we want to have that love more and more. So Father, help us to know how to persuade our hearts, how to talk to ourselves, remind ourselves of how you've loved us and how you love our brothers and sisters who we find difficult to love. We pray for our church that we would have a deep love for one another. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.